0: It's almost Easter. I don't know about you, but um, the first week or the Sunday before Easter, if you know this, if you're brought up in a good church of England, uh, where we're very, very kind of in rhythm with the times and, and what's going on in life, that there's a thing called Palm Sunday, which is today. And um, I have these vague memories of me growing up as a child, um, going around Conley Heath, which is just a stone's throw away over there, uh, with palm leaves. I don't know where they got them from. I don't know. Palm leaves don't really. Growing in the UK, do they? But somehow in the 1980s, they managed to get some palm leaves, and they, you know, we would walk around kind of the church grounds and around Coney Heath, and with palm, palm leaves in our hands, and singing "Hosanna, Hosanna, Hosanna in the highest." And then when I went to Hong Kong and lived there for a few years as a teenager, we did the same thing, um, and it was all very strange to me because it's like, why are we singing all these kind of wonderful, kind of glorious praise songs when actually one of the things that is happening in a week's time is the crucifixion of Jesus and I was growing up in the Anglican faith it always reminded me that actually within church life there are seasons aren't there there are seasons in the year like you know some of them are obvious like Christmas where we choose to focus and to slow down and just to ponder the things around these times of the, of the year and, you know, many, uh, you can say maybe contemporary churches, we don't necessarily do that in kind of the full way in which, say, an Anglican church does it with, you know, many other things. But this season in Forest Town Church, and thanks to Johnny, really, that we're going to be doing a lot of things, like Burns Night is a really great opportunity to slow down, to take stock, to really focus and to take a bit of time to reflect on the immensity and the wonder of, of Easter and what Jesus has done for us. So this morning, as we're, we're looking at the Gospels of Luke, we're going to be looking at Uh, Jesus entering into Jerusalem, the Sunday before Easter Sunday, the week leading up to Christ um, laying down his life for the sins of the world. And I want us to encourage, just as we said at the very beginning of the service, the gospels intentionally slow down. They intentionally take time to focus on these events of this coming week in much greater detail than the rest of Jesus' life. And it's a wonderful thing to be able to do as a church as well. So if you've got your Bibles, I want you to, hopefully, if you've got them, go to um, Luke chapter 19. And uh, it's a bit of a chunky passage we're going to read today, because it's a bit of a narrative. But it helps us to kind of paint a picture of what we're going to be focusing on today. But my, my message is hopefully quite simple. It's three points. We're going to be, through the tri- triumphal entry into Jerusalem, we're going to be it's focusing on three things. We're going to be remembering Jesus' mercy. And then we're going to be... Um, responding, sorry, rejoicing in our salvation. And lastly, we're going to be responding with Jesus' compassion. Those are three things we want to learn from, from the passage we're going to read today. So if you can read with me or if you've got it in your Bibles, so I'm going to read from the ESV. But we're going to start at Luke 19, verse 29, not 28. But we're going to start at verse 29. And it says this. When Jesus drew near to Bethpage and Bethany, at the mount, uh, sorry, at the mount of, My uh, Bible. When, when he drew near to Bethpage and Bethany at the mount that is called Oliver, he sent to his disciples saying, go into the village in front of you, where on entering you will find a colt tied and which no one has ever sat on. Untie it and bring it here. If anyone asks of you, why are you untying it? You shall say, the Lord has need of it. For so those who were with, those who, and those who he went, went away and found it, just as he had told them. And as they were untying the colt, the owner said to him, Why are you untying the colt? And they said, The Lord has need of it. And they brought it to Jesus. Throwing their cloaks on the colt, they set Jesus on it. And he rode along and spread their cloaks on the road. As he was drawing near, already on the way to the Mount of Olives, And when Jesus drew near and saw the city, he wept over it, saying, would that you, even you, had known on this day the things that make for peace. But now they are hidden from your eyes. I find Palm Sunday fascinating. I find it um, amazing. Uh, Firstly, because when we enter into Easter, when we think about Easter, we have to kind of think a little bit about what Jesus where he was in his life, where he was in the current um, way in which he was living his life and how people thought of him. Uh, And it really puts into context a little bit about what Jesus has chosen to do for us. Um, We're talking about Jesus here entering into Jerusalem. I kind of picture this as almost like um, a few years ago, many years ago actually, uh, I'm a big fan of the Dave Matthews Band. Anybody know who the Dave Matthews Band are? They're a great kind of music band. We love them, music. And I remember... Um, Dave Matthews, who's a great guitarist, he came over to London and um, me and my friends, we decided to skip off university and go to watch this free concert in the Virgin Megastore on Oxford Street. It was like a massive thing. He's never like, you know, going to watch like your favorite almost rock star. Uh, And it was like super intimate. It was like, you know, me and Johnny. I was like as close to Dave Matthews as me and Johnny right now. And it was amazing because it was like, wow, this superstar is coming to town this superstar is coming, and he's going to play this amazing concert, and everyone's going to get hyped about it, and we're going to enjoy it, and we're going to be with all our mates who love Dave Matthews as well. We're going to sing his songs. We're going to, you know, have this amazing time. And, and it was cool. It was really great. I didn't get in trouble for missing a class at university. Um, it was fine. But when we think about Jesus entering Jerusalem, one of the things we have to think about is the fact who Jesus was. He was the superstar. He was a superstar of Israel. People had heard about what he's done. People had experienced him healing people. He wasn't just some guy on the road. He was, he was you know, the most, you could say, the most famous person. And it was exciting. You can hear it in the passage that it reads. People were excited about the popularity of seeing Jesus. They were praising his mighty works. A few passages, if you look back, he raised Lazarus from the dead. It's pretty impressive. Raising a dead guy from the dead, um, and people had experienced not just his power, but his love and his mercy and his kindness towards them, and that is why, when we look at the fact that Jesus is approaching Jerusalem, he doesn't approach it in a way in which it's like he's going to his you know his his amazing amazing party where he's going to be cemented in his celebrity status. It's not like he's walking into Hollywood. He's going to put his hands you know on that walk of what's it called you know where the stars put their put their hands in the stars, and they kind of are immortalized forever. Jesus isn't walking to Jerusalem to become the most amazing, most famous celebrity. He walks into Jerusalem for a very, very specific purpose, and that is to surrender his life. Surrender his life to the Father's will and for our sake. And I find that staggering, because when we think about life in general, how we live our lives, One of the things that we do is that we, we, I guess most of the time, we choose to go upwards, don't we? We choose to make our lives kind of in this trajectory, getting a little bit better, maybe a little bit richer, um, a little bit this way and this way and this way upwards, becoming a bit more more famous, a bit more power, a bit more authority in life and in work. Um, But the king that we worship at Easter time is the king who chose to go to Jerusalem, not to become famous or become more famous, but to lay his life down for us. And when I think about that, and I think about Easter, um, we we think about how Jesus Jesus knew this. Easter, or the cross, wasn't sprung upon him. We read in Matthew 16 um, that Jesus actually knew that he was going to die. He knew he was going to suffer. And it says this in Matthew 16. From that time, Jesus began to show his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things from the elders and the chief priests and scribes and he would be killed and on the third day be raised again. Staggering, isn't it? If you knew that was the direction of your life, which way would you head? To Jerusalem or maybe the other way? Matthew 20, again, Jesus says to his disciples, see, we are going to Jerusalem, and the Son of Man will be delivered over to the chief priests and scribes, and they will condemn him to death and deliver him over to the Gentiles to be mocked, flogged, crucified and he'll be raised on the third day. You know, this isn't just an idea. This is clarity in which Jesus is knowing what he's heading towards. He's clearly understanding the will of his will of his father's life, the will of, his, of the father over his life is to head towards Jerusalem to suffer, to be flogged, to be crucified, but also to be raised. And it gets me thinking when I think about this that if, if he is heading towards this trajectory in his life, and he knows it, Why is he doing this? Why is Jesus doing this? And ultimately, when I was thinking and praying about this, Romans 5 8 comes to mind straight away, and it says, God shows his love for us in this, that while we are still sinners, Christ died for us. The weight of Jesus heading towards Jerusalem is that he sees mercy towards us, he places mercy at the heart of who he is towards us as sinners. Because God loves us, Jesus was sent. Because God loves us, we as sinners experience the death of Christ for our sake as the most wonderful and most glorious thing that we can experience. What strikes me at Easter is that Jesus' glory is seen in his mercy towards me and towards you. So maybe one of the things we can do this Easter is think about God's mercy towards us. And mercy in God's terms is, is described as this. His tenderheartedness towards you and I. God's tenderheartedness towards you and I. That is the reason why He, he sent Jesus. God sent Him because He loves us and He knew that we could not be saved in another way. Mercy for God also means this that He denies Himself for the sake of others. He lays aside what is right for Him, He lays aside His rights so that others can benefit. That is what God's mercy is. What does this mean for us as we think about Easter and we think about God's mercy towards us? I love, it. I think it's in Luke, it says that be merciful like your father is merciful. And and that's a pretty amazing thing, isn't it, when we see the depths of God's mercy towards us. That he chooses to lay aside his rights for the sake of others. He chooses to be tender-hearted towards those who came to who who chose to crucify him and as we think about that as we think about the mercy of god towards us we are called also to be merciful as people for the sake of denying ourselves and for the sake of others and i don't know about you but if as we think about mercy as in we always think oh you know i have to be merciful now that's such a drag (laughs) <laughs> These people don't deserve it. You know, if someone, if I knew someone was going to crucify me, why would I be merciful towards them? But as is what God calls us towards supernaturally, and as what I hope that Easter would be, as, as be a, you know, a starting point for us in many ways that the mercy of God would reign in our lives, so that we're not in control of it. We choose to be merciful because God is merciful to us. It's like a response. It's almost like a call and response action. How can I respond to God's mercy? Only if I've received his mercy first. I wanted to share a story from um, from the Ukrainian church. Obviously, we know everything that's been going on in the last six or seven weeks or so with the conflict there. But um, in late February, before all the invasions happened and before um, you know the war really kicked off, as it has done, um, there was Urban Birth Bible Church. This is just a, a bit of a, a sharing from one of the lead pastors there. And he shared this about how his church has been preparing for the, inevit- or the potential inevitability of invasion. And it says this. This is the pastor, Vassal Ostri from the Urban Bible Church, sharing on the 24th of February. He, and this is the church which is just just on the west outskirts of, of the capital, Kiev. And it says this. Our church, which is about 1,000 people who attend on normal Sunday, is also a place of service we recently conducted several trainings on performing first aid. People are learning how to apply a tourniquet, how to stop bleeding, how to apply bandages, how to manage airways. These lay people aren't going to become doctors, but this has given them confidence to care for their neighbors if necessary. In fact, when I first announced the first aid training we were doing, one brother told me, now I know why I need to stay in Ukraine. He had planned to leave. He knew he was not a soldier. He knew he was going, wasn't going to be able to take up arms and fight. But now he wants to stay to help the wounded, to save lives. We have decided to stay both as a family and as a church. And when this is over, the citizens of Kiev will remember how Christians have responded in their time of need. And while the church may not fight like the nations, we still believe that we have a role to play in the struggle. We will shelter the weak. We will serve the suffering we will mend the broken, and as we do, we'll offer the unshakable hope of Christ and his gospel. And as we stay, we pray the church in Ukraine will faithfully trust the Lord and serve our neighbors. That, that is mercy, isn't it? That is knowing that I've received mercy from God, and I'm gonna lay aside, deny myself my protection for the sake of pouring out mercy to others? Would we as a church have the same heart as a church in Ukraine to choose to serve and to choose to love even when it means denying ourselves because that's what Christ has done for us at Easter time. So we remember God Jesus' mercy towards us. The second point I want to bring our attention to this morning is that we can rejoice uh, in Jesus, our salvation. Luke's gospel, which we read, doesn't quite um, capture this. But if we read the four gospels, we see it mentioned in John and also in the book of Matthew, where Jesus riding on on this colt, on this donkey, into Jerusalem is not some um, random act. It's actually a real kind of choice and decision that God has ordained in order that Jesus fulfills this amazing prophecy from Zechariah 9.9. Um, in the ancient times when a, a king was victorious and he you know, defeated an enemy and, and he would ride in on his war horse. He would ride into the city to show that he is the king or the one now who has conquered the city. And now he comes in with a mighty arm to defeat and to basically to, to sh- to intimidate, effectively you could say, uh, the subjects of this city. But Jesus and God here in his wisdom intentionally chooses to occult a, a donkey. To ride in on. And um, it says this in, in Zechariah 9.9. 9. It says this, rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. And Zion is another name for Jerusalem. Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout aloud, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, your king is coming to you, righteous and having salvation. He is humble, mounted on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. So in this picture of, of Palm Sunday, we have this, I wish I brought my palm leaves now. Uh, we have this amazing kind of picture of, you know, the streets lined with, with, with people, children, men, women, um, with palm trees, palm leaves in their hands, cut down from the nearby trees. And this, this waving of palms is, is like a sign of victory. They're welcoming in this victorious king. And this king they're welcoming in is one who, it says in Zechariah, is one who comes righteous. And salvation is in his hands. Humble a mountain on a donkey. And for the people who are rejoicing here are Jesus' disciples. They've experienced um, God's power in their lives. They've witnessed it. They've, They've seen him heal people, raise Lazarus from the dead. These are the people who have been following Jesus for the last three years or so. And they're welcoming in the promised Messiah. And this is where we have to go back into kind of Israel's history a little bit. Uh, what Israel was looking for, at the moment, they're, they're kind of conquered by a Roman over, like foreign power that Jerusalem is basically inhabited by the Roman rule. And what they've been longing for and you know, really wanting to happen is, is for someone to overthrow the Romans so that they could be a free nation again. And when we think about what they were, what they were looking for in the Messiah, what they were looking for in salvation, they were looking for political freedom, Freedom to become a nation, freedom from oppression, physical things that they wanted as a nation to be free of and to be saved into. And it's interesting how, um, how they responded, because they responded in a very physical way, didn't they? In a physical way, what they could see, they saw themselves under oppression right now. And what they cry out for from Jesus is that he would be Messiah, he would be Hosanna and the word Hosanna effectively means save me. It's like if you're drowning, uh, maybe don't say Hosanna because people might not know what you're talking about. But you should be crying out, Hosanna, save me. Um, maybe ask for a life ring or something you know, uh, to save for somebody if you're crying out in the swimming pool. But, um, but yeah, the word Hosanna means save me. And what they're proclaiming to Jesus is that Jesus save us, save us from the Romans, save us from oppression, save us from this pain that we're suffering right now for, as a nation. And in, they call him, I love this, kind of the words that they use, they call him, Jesus is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. They're calling him the ruler of Israel. They're lifting him up to be the one who has been promised hundreds of years ago to bring redemption for them. And that's a wonderful thing, actually, when you think about it. They knew that Jesus was a king. They knew he was. They had great insight to see that. But they also had a great misunderstanding for who Jesus was going to be and how he was going to bring about his rule. If political freedom and freedom of oppression is what you're looking to Jesus for at this time, then they would be sorely um, discouraged. Because Jesus' salvation wasn't a victory over Romans And it wasn't a victory over oppression and to restore something of the kingdom of Israel. It was a victory to be over sin, victory over judgment, victory over death, in order that we would have peace. And this peace wasn't related to, you know, just making sure that everyone had religious rights and freedoms or being free from oppression from the Romans. This peace that Jesus was offering is something so much deeper than what this physical world could offer. It's a peace that comes through uniting a lost people with their Heavenly Father once again. And I wonder when we think about Easter, we think about salvation and what we need from God right now. Um, Many of us, I think, turn to a lot of the things physically that maybe are happening in our lives right now, don't we? Maybe we're just trying to get through um, the sense of there's a war happening in Eastern Europe. And we're looking for salvation and salvation from the wars to cease and sense to come. And that is a great need. Don't don't get me wrong, but that is not the greatest need right now. Or maybe our greatest need right now is trying to manage the energy crisis and our fuel costs rising through the roof and just the cost of living right now and how we're going to make ends meet. Or maybe our greatest need or what we see in our purpose right now is to Finally, not, catch, not to catch the virus or the virus to just disappear into, um, into nothing and we can live our lives with maximum freedoms again. Um, but one of the things I want us to focus on this Easter is, is, yes, those are needs, but that is not our greatest need. And that is not where peace will be found. If wars were to cease, if viruses were to cease, if energy prices or cost of living was to go down, that is not the foundation of what our peace is found in. I love how Johnny led that song. I will build my life upon this rock. I will not be shaken. The peace that we can experience in Christ is found because we are free from sin. We are free from judgment. We are free to live as children of the Most High God. That is where we find our peace. And that peace came through Jesus riding into Jerusalem on a donkey to lay his life down for us. Isaiah 53, a very common passages that we read during the Easter period, says this. Jesus was despised. He was rejected by men. He bore our griefs, carried our sorrow. He was pierced for our transgressions, crushed for our iniquities. Upon Jesus was the punishment that brought us peace. And by Jesus' wounds, we are healed. Christ dies Christ rises, Christ will come again. That's the Anglican and me coming out. But that's what we would say each Sunday. Christ, is, Christ has died, Christ has risen, and Christ will come again. That is the basis of our peace, that we have Christ. He has bought us and purchased us um, with salvation that can never, ever be taken away from us. And because of that salvation, we rejoice. And because of that salvation, we can rest in peace. And because of that salvation, we will join and worship this Easter to the great king who rode in a donkey and rides out in victory for us. Maybe this Easter, we need to slow down and allow these beautiful truths again. Again, in many ways, we sing these each Sunday, don't we? We kind of sing about across. We sing about all these wonderful things. But I just know that at Easter, there's something that God wants to impart in us that would fuel us. Fuel this community for the year ahead. Maybe the new thing that you need to do this Easter is come to Burns Night and uh, worship with your friends and your family here in this church. Maybe you can't make it past 3 a.m. in the morning. Maybe you can, but maybe you need to choose this Easter to worship. Uh, A few years ago, uh, I did a Passover meal uh, in our old church in, in London, And it was the most incredible experience of worship for me. To see the Jewishness of what God did, how he wrote into the Jewish life, who the Messiah would be and how he would live his life. I remember one of the girls in our church, she led a simple song, When I Surveyed the Wondrous Cross. And it crushed me. Because something I think at Easter just focuses our minds. We choose to respond We choose to worship him as he opens our eyes. He increases our affection for Jesus. We feel the weight of his grace and mercy. Maybe there's a new song. Maybe there's a new way in which we need to choose to worship this Easter that will allow God to just bring in us a fresh sense of who he is and the salvation that he has brought us. And I love how Jesus ends this little bit of passage. He says, even the rocks will cry out. Even if we don't worship the rocks or creation, all of the creation that God has made is crying out to this king of salvation, to this king of kings, and we can join that song this Easter and be part of this wonderful rejoicing over his salvation. Let me end with this last thought from this passage. This Easter we can respond with Jesus' compassion. It says in Luke 19:41, when Jesus drew near, he saw the city, and he wept over it, saying, "Would that you, even you, had known on this day the things that make for peace! But now they are hidden from your eyes." So when Jesus entered towards Jerusalem, on the road, um, you go over this mount. Uh, if you look at the maps and things, you kind of come up to Jerusalem over the mount, and you look down onto the city of Jerusalem, and you look over the vastness of this city of a million people or so. And uh, it's interesting how Jesus wept for the city at this point. And I I was thinking, you know, Jesus doesn't weep often in the Bible. It's not recorded, sorry, that Jesus weeps a lot in the Bible. It's in two locations in the Gospels where Jesus weeps. And uh, it it says that he, he weeps when his friend Lazarus dies. And when he meets Martha and Mary, their sisters, and these are good friends of his, and he weeps with them as he sees their grief over the death of their brother. Um, And also says here in this passage that we've just read in Luke, that Jesus weeps over the city of Jerusalem as he approaches it. And it always gets me thinking, why does the Bible record this? And what does it mean for us? And why does Jesus cry over the city? And... um, let me just have some thoughts here. Jesus isn't weeping because somehow the day he's maybe he thought that he would run to Jerusalem, everyone would go, "Oh, you're the Messiah. You're going to go to the cross. You're going to do all these things," and and people are kind of misunderstand who he is. Maybe he's crying because maybe he failed that day for them to fully understand that he would die on the cross for them. I don't think that's the case. I don't think Jesus is crying because somehow he he messed up and didn't do things correctly. Um, he's not weeping because he's worried his plan of salvation might fail. Jesus, this is Jesus we're talking about. Completely perfect in faith with God. Completely trusting in God. Completely obedient towards God his Father. Fully in control of the situation. Jesus knows victory comes on the Sunday when he rises from the dead. He knows this is going to be the beginning of the church and the movement of Christianity across the world and people coming to salvation. He knows what's going to come. He knows that days later, weeks later, he's going to send the Holy Spirit and Pentecost comes. And in a day, 3,000 believers in Jerusalem suddenly become Christians. He knows all of this is coming. So Jesus isn't responding with tears because of something that's going to go wrong. He weeps because he has compassion over the lost. He's compassionate over the city. This city, Jerusalem, was supposed to be, we read it earlier, it's called Zion. The city is supposed to be beautiful. It's supposed to be a demonstration of God's affection. It's supposed to be a people whose purpose is to bring salvation to the world. He weeps because the city has lost its heart for God. And ultimately, is going to be judged and destined for destruction. How do we apply that today? I think God, in his mercy, what he does is that he still has compassion towards the lost. He still has compassion for those who are far from him, who are destined for judgment and destruction. And that is why Jesus came, so that people would not have to receive that, but they could receive instead grace and mercy for their lives. That people would not be far from God. That people would be drawn near and have hope and life and life everlasting. So as Jesus weeps over the city, one of the things I think that God calls us to do at Easter is also to feel his compassion for the lost. Those in our cities right now, those in our towns, those in our universities, those in our workplaces, who without the grace of God and the forgiveness of Christ are destined, are lost, are in despair. So one of the things I want us to do this Easter I'd love us to do is invite us to ask God, just as we did earlier in the worship, is to ask God to break our hearts for what breaks yours. Everything I am for your kingdom's cause. I think responding, this is just a thought I had during the week. um, Responding with emotions is not a sign of weakness or lack of faith. If you see pain and suffering in the world right now, whether it's a family member who's ill, whether it's you see someone who's lost and in despair. I think one of our core convictions as a Christian is to have compassion because Christ had compassion on you and I. We can choose actually to have compassion. We can choose not to have compassion as well. But Christ chose compassion. He chose mercy. He chose to weep for the lost and to see the cries of the sick and to see the brokenness in this world and to respond with emotion, but also with action. Compassion always leads to action. Compassion always leads full of faith that God will be in this and can move mountains and change the situation. We have confidence as Christians not just to feel hopeless when we see pain and suffering in this world, but we can choose to feel full of faith that God will act through you through us, through his church, to bring about his works of compassion. Maybe this Easter, as we focus on the compassion of Christ towards us, we can feel the heart of compassion towards the lost as well, and those who are broken in despair. So my invitation to you this Easter, and my invitation to us, every, every time we meet, is to set our eyes on Jesus again, to see Jesus in his mercy To rejoice in him for the salvation that he has brought to you and I. But also to respond with compassion to the world that we live in. And to have his heart as we live our lives. Maybe this Easter there's opportunities for you to love your neighbours. Maybe there's opportunities this Easter to attend a Burns Night. And to worship God with your family and friends. Maybe there's time this Easter to slow down. And to reflect on the mercy of God towards you and I. I feel that to fuel us in mission for the year ahead as we reach out in love to those around us who don't know him yet.